Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a great week wherever you're tuning in. Before we tackle another community Q&A, I hope you really enjoyed the recent podcast with Danny Robinson at Burton Albion Football Club. And if you haven't checked it out yet, the full masterclass discussion is available on the PDP website and it's well worth a watch. This week, as well as the release of our latest Q&A, we've published a fantastic research review from Professor William A. Harper. Bill reviews the work of four researchers in England who examined the coach-to-coach relationships of professional football environments, citing the experience of one of the authors, Paul Potrack. Now, this is a really challenging review, and it makes you reflect on some of the dominant narratives in football culture and some of the historic behaviors, which are perhaps driven by ego and the ruthless nature of professional sports. So well worth a read and highly recommend that one. Next week, we'll have another masterclass discussion with one of our top contributors, Reid Maltby, going live on the site, and we'll share some of that conversation via the podcast as well. This will be complemented by our latest video session plan, so watch this space. Finally, a reminder about the PDP Mentor Program. We have a new mentor being announced very shortly who will be available to coaches alongside Tony Reddings, Dan Wright, and myself. So on with today's discussion, and today we do tackle a really nice question from one of our regular readers and followers online, Elliot. Elliot's got us thinking on the topic of motivation, behavior, and emotional control, so it was a really interesting discussion to be a part of. I'd also like to say a special thanks to Lara Mossman for her support on putting this content together. We massively value her expertise, so I hope you enjoy the discussion. Don't forget, as always, you can head over to playdevelopmentproject.com and sign up to access our huge range of coaching content. Hi everyone, my name is Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. As usual, I'm joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, mate? Good, good. Uh, Really looking forward to this question this week and uh, outside of that, just been on the grass working with some players and and, uh, been keeping nice and busy down here in Melbourne. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm fortunate to, to be in Bilbao the last weekend at a little tournament. Um, very interesting place from a football point of view. Um, a club that produces a lot of academy players and, and getting an understanding of kind of the culture and, and their methodology and stuff is really, really interesting and, and a place I'd like to go back to. So, yeah, an exciting, exciting weekend and uh, now looking forward to answering this question. So let's jump in. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds like a great, uh, great trip as well. So the question this week has come in via the PDP Facebook page. It's come from Elliot, who I know we've had contact with before. It's a really interesting one. So to give a little bit of context, Elliot's working with under 12s uh, grassroots players, but it's a, it's one of these teams which sort of does filter into academy teams. So they potentially have players coming and going uh, into academy environments, which implies that there's a reasonable level of play happening. Um, the question is, can we expect emotional control at under 12? Now, again, just to give context, Elliot sort of elaborated that at times the players can be really calm and at times they can really lose their head. And it's a really fascinating topic. It's an area of coaching that I really am passionate about is the psychological side of the game. Um, but more so, we're very lucky to have somebody uh, in the form of Lara Mossman, who is our sort of, we like to call her our, our resident expert around positive psychology. She's contributed some wonderful work to PDP. And in order to best answer this, and before Dan and I chime in with our thoughts, we thought we'd speak to Lara and uh, get her opinions on this particular question. So here she is with some of her thoughts. So Lara, we're talking about emotional control with under 12 football is a really interesting topic. What are some of your initial thoughts around this challenging question? Well, I think it is difficult for under 12s to control their emotions and sport, I even know myself, um, 
even recently in games that I've played, <laughs> I always find it that easy to control emotions. So I certainly wouldn't put expectations on 12 year olds that they should be able to do that all the time. Mm. Um, but there are some things that uh, we could use from perhaps some of the positive psychology research that might point towards um, helping players handle their emotions when they do come up. Um, the first one that springs to mind is mindfulness. And there are some free apps that young players can use that are specifically designed for sport contexts as well. So for example, the Smiling Mind Sport Program, but there's also um, Smiling Mind programs specifically for children at the age of 12, so aren't so much sport focused. And by practicing these from the research, it has shown that um, sometimes this can help people regulate their emotions. It's like it helps them to buy just a split second of time before they act. So um, if you think about a situation where a player is feeling frustrated, they just lose their call on the pitch, they maybe start blaming the opposition, the refs, um, a lot of players will actually blame themselves. Mm. Just being able to practice something like mindfulness potentially could help the player to actually um, re what I'd call regulate their emotions and actually um, recognise that they're about to react in a certain way and stop themselves from doing that beforehand. And certainly um, mindfulness programs have been used in that age group. So that's something that uh, coaches could consider. Mm. Is this a case of just um, helping young players with things like self-awareness or noticing these kind of thoughts? Um, is, is that the sort of starting point around this? Yes, it would be around self-awareness and noticing, paying attention, and then not judging themselves for having mm. those feelings or those um, thoughts coming up straight away when an incident occurs, for example. Um, but being able to separate themselves from that thought a little bit more or set, you know, not buy into the thought as you know, now got to act, act on it and do something. Yeah. Um, it can also help with attention focus as well. So it can have other benefits in a sports context. Okay. And, and just sort of going back to the bigger question, which Dan and I are going to dive into in more detail is, can we expect this emotional control? You sort of touched on it. I mean, is it just part of being a kid? Is it part of being an environment? Is, is the environment got to be looked at or potentially does the coach need to reflect on the environment here? I'd always co encourage coaches to reflect on their environments. And um, usually most coaches are doing quite a few strategies or things, as I'm sure the coaches asked this question, that are really helpful. Um, but some of the things that spring to mind that I would suggest dialing up in this scenario would be things like asking, um, what's the environment like around um, mistakes and failure for those athletes? Uh, perhaps they're feeling like they're in a really high stakes environment and the, um, you know, they, the need to win, the need to always be performing at a high level, and that pressure might be creating frustration for them. And so some things coaches can do to help um, take the focus or the emphasis away from that, because it will be there, I'm not denying it, and yeah. the winning will be important to the coaches and the clubs. Um, but it doesn't need to be emphasised or overstated because it's it's always there for the players. So just to shift some of that emphasis more towards what we'd call a mastery environment. Um, so that would be things like, does the player know um, what it is that he or she is, is supposed to be working towards in that particular session or game or over the course of the season? And do they have clear steps about how um, to get there? so that they can understand whether they are meeting the um, action steps, if you like, towards their goal or not. Um, and to do that, rather than to actually compare the player to other players. And so particularly I dialed down any sort of dialogue with players or any communication with players that revolved around um, comparing them to other players on the team, 
comparing them to players that have made uh, elite academies, for example, or comparing them to players that have dropped out of um, academies or things like that, or, or their, the team that they're playing in. Um, so really to sort of also, you know, keep them focused on the tasks that they're doing and their own goals and their own progress rather than focused on others. Because um, that can create some pressure that could account for some of the emotional outbursts. Absolutely fantastic advice, Lara. Thank you very much. And obviously, I would point Elliot in the direction of all of your written articles that are on our website, as well as your previous discussion. So, Lara, thank you so much for your thoughts. Thank you very much. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Lara. So, Dan, some really fascinating insight there from Lara and some great advice that she's passed on to Elliot. What did you make of what, what she was sort of outlining there? Yeah, there's a lot of nuggets in there, isn't there, that, you could, uh, that we could use with our players. I think um, one of the ones that perhaps you and I have learned coaching for a little bit longer and getting a little bit older is uh, don't, don't expect 12-year-olds to have emotional control. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the time we look at the game in a, an adult lens from a technical and tactical point of view, but also that they are mini-adults and they're not mini-adults. Like they don't have the same kind of uh, <clears throat> capacity or skills to control those emotions, so we shouldn't expect them to. Um, and then the idea of mindfulness is, is, is quite a good one. It's something that, that uh, we try and use with our players. Mm -hmm. um, so to, to try and make them kind of more aware, I suppose, of, of those emotions um, kind of uh, rising and, uh, and taking control of you. So can you can you kind of be aware of, of, of your feelings before they become kind of behavior, I suppose, is, is how we kind of uh, communicate that with young players. What did you take out of that clip, mate? Look, I think the mindfulness one's really interesting in the sense that it's becoming a much more mainstream thing. I actually recorded a masterclass with Lara recently, which will be on the website and the podcast very soon, um, where we talked about how that sort of seems to be seeping into performance environments. And I gave the example of a, a rugby league team who I'm an absolute avid fan, a passionate fan, uh, the New Zealand Warriors who play in the Australian competition. And they've actually adopted it over the last season and a half where they, they come together at any score moment during the game whether they've conceded or scored they get together in a circle bring the chain together and they take three deep breaths collectively now when this first started happening it was very unusual again we're talking about a performance environment but I think it's great that this kind of practice is coming in into sport and, and it's becoming more acceptable um, and more commonplace I think the big one from a PDP perspective, there's been a lot of great content in the past from our lead researcher, Jimmy Vaughan, around the dangers of social comparison, which Lara touched on. Um, I think it's really important that no two players are the same and coaches make sure that that is sort of at the forefront of their mind and we're not just comparing players and, and, uh, and sort of potentially humiliating one in front of another or, or that kind of thing. I think that can be really dangerous in terms of the motivational climate. So some good tips there. But just to rewind in terms of the question and obviously trying to help Elliot a little bit more with some of our own experiences, where do you think is best to start to sort of follow on from some of Lara's thoughts? Yeah, I think it's kind of like a, there's, a, there's a balance between what what is unacceptable behaviour. So, you know, if you went kind of really, really far down that spectrum, somebody perhaps using inappropriate language or, you know, hitting somebody on the pitch, that would be unacceptable. So we need to have a, a hard boundary of what we're not going to accept. And then probably at the other end, what is our perfect uh, behavior or ideal behavior or, or behavior that we want to see kids um, use on the pitch. So we want them to be competitive, but we also still want them to be, you know, good humans. Mm. And then it's the skill of uh, knowing when to enforce that boundary and when to kind of highlight highlight the good as well. I think um, one of the things that I've tried to do with teenagers is, is, is catch them doing the things that you want them to do. So it's something we've talked about before with this kind of the, the, 
the coach's eye is, is is kind of set up and taught from a tactical and technical point of view to correct things and to fix things. And if you use that approach with behaviour, it can go a bit wrong if you're yeah. constantly niggling, niggling people or saying you need to do better this or this. But if you find somebody doing some sort of behaviour, whether it's, you know, uh, encouragement when something goes wrong or uh, reinforcing a positive or, you know, physically picking somebody up and going, come on, let's go again. If you highlight that, uh, maybe as an individual or reinforce it or say in front of the group, I was really impressed when Dave did X, Y, Z, then that behavior maybe, maybe will come a bit more like the norm and that, and that will become something that we enforce. Mm. Um, that, that's a lot easier said than done. Like you, you have to be quite skilled as a coach because then, you know, you, you have to make sure that, that you're kind of process focused and not focused on the result too much. I think competition and results would be an interesting thing to talk about here because I'd suggest the reason they're getting high then low is because they're probably quite competitive kids and winning is important to them, which, yeah. which is fine. Um, but, but we also probably need to frame what winning looks like and um, which bits of that we can control. So you can't control whether the ball goes in the goal. You can't control whether the referee is good or bad. So which bits can we control? That might tie in nicely to, yeah. to whether we're seeing the emotions we want. I think your point around specific praise is a really good one. Uh, I think being clever with your language as a coach and recognizing those behaviors is absolutely crucial. I think that's that's great advice. I think in terms of um, how players are keeping, you know, or how players are dealing with adversity, I've sort of used the example previously in Q and A's and different um, different content on the side around um, redefining success and. If you've got a player, for example, who's a dribbler and he dribbles and maybe his mentor is Eden Hazard, well, Eden Hazard gets fouled every time he goes out on a football pitch and he's going to continually get fouled until the end of his career because of what he does well. So I think framing what success could be for a dribbler, for example, is that when you get fouled, can you just put your hand on the ball, pick it up uh, and take the free kick quickly and just be really present in the game and, and just accept. Uh, and I think acceptance is part of that sort of mindfulness angle as well, accept that you know, these things are going to happen and it's how you deal with it and how you, you know, deal with that is then going to be positive for your team. I think the results one's really interesting. Obviously, players will naturally want to compete and to win. Um, the, you know, they, they may be in, in, they may feel like they're in a place where that's, that's important to them. Um, so framing, again, framing success for them on the day, either individually or collectively, which we've talked about around individual learning a lot, um, is pretty important. And of course, the scoreboard creates emotion. The scoreboard creates uh, different different types of play. You know, if you're chasing the game with five to go, it might be suddenly we lose our style of play and we're shelling long balls and, uh, and Diag's trying to get in behind because that's all we've got. So I think the emotion and the result can definitely, uh, or, or the scoreboard can definitely affect the way we play and the way we deal with that. And I think one of the best ways I've, um, you know, read about is the idea of redhead and bluehead, which was cited in the book Legacy, which I know you'll give me stick about for, for referring to again, but it is one of my favorite books. And, you know, the, the players in the All Blacks team talked about connecting and being in the moment. So if they were in a period of time where perhaps they recognized or they noticed that they were going into that redhead or feeling that rage, um, they were able to sort of, you know, take a deep breath or stare at the furthest point, the furthest corner in the stadium and reconnect with where they were. Um, again, very, very unreasonable to expect that under 12s are going to be able to do this consistently, but certainly some strategies that you can implement and try and get players to at least engage with. And perhaps maybe one in four, it does help the kid, you know, maybe one mm -hmm. in four times you get that success. And, um, I think that anxiety is very, very commonplace for kids at this age, um, when they're out on the foot, out, out on the football pitch or, or competing in any sport. Mm. And, and maybe it's that kind of. Um, similar to the opposed versus unopposed debate, 
um, that that kind of false mental model that uh, psychology is just uh, your brain and a mental state. Mm. Like when kids are redhead, they will have heart rate up, maybe struggle in breath. They probably run around a lot. They're, they're probably not making great decisions. And so it is a physical thing. Mm. So they can physically feel like what that feels like just before you make a poor choice, then they could be that 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 for me is mindfulness that you are becoming a little bit more self-aware yeah. um, almost like you're, you're boiling inside slowly bubbling up and can you recognize that so your example of um the rugby team taking deep breaths is, mm. is a physical thing to control the mental thing yeah um and you know it, it's it's the old kind of cliche that your, your brain is actually a physical thing not just a mental thing so mm. um explaining that to 12 year olds can be tricky <laughs> but if they kind of count into 10 or deep breaths or even if the coach was able to, to, to use substitutes in a skilled way, so can you take somebody out of the heat of the battle for, for two or three minutes, I think would be really good. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think... di I definitely agree with that. I, I think just to, just to sort of uh, add to that, the language of ice cool is something that I've used a lot with young players. Can we just be ice cool in this situation? Can we play ice cool today? Let's not get ourselves into that sort of um, really spicy environment where things are getting away from us and we're losing our control. And, and the example of, of uh, removing a player from the situation can often be a, a masterstroke. If you're in a situation where you've likely got rolling subs at under 12 and you can bring players on and off as you like, um, that is a great way just to say, look, come out of the game, let's have a conversation, let's, let's calm it down and give someone else a few minutes out there and then get them to go back and take that challenge is a, is a great bit of advice. But I did cut you off a little bit there. So how are you going to elaborate a little bit further, Dan? I think um, a lot of this stuff, what we're talking about is the, the game being an extension of training, yeah. not like this separate. I think sometimes we can be guilty of building up the games because it is different. You go to a different place, you get a nice kit to wear, maybe parents are watching, maybe there's um, an expectation or a pressure to win. And the more you can match uh, training and games to be the same, I think it's a double win. If you can get your training to be as competitive as games, yeah. Uh, you're going to see better footballers um, and, and it comes back to that kind of idea of representative design. Representative design includes emotions and it includes it feeling like a game. So if training is um, maybe low pressure or quite jovial and fun, which is fine, but then the game is red hot and a million miles an hour and arguing with each other or, or arguing with the referee, then training doesn't look like the game. And it might be the same for the, the coach's behaviour as well. Mm. It might be during the week we're quite, like you said, ice cool and making good decisions at the right time and our voice is where we want it to be and all that kind of stuff. And then in game day, we might do more uh, interventions or be louder or, or more kind of um, repetitive yeah. with our mm. um, and, it, and it's just, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it does it look similar? Like are other kids experiencing the same thing? I think would be, um, yeah, that, that idea of, of game being an extension of training is, is an interesting one. And I think it works both ways. I think quite often it's sold as uh, we need to tailor the games or taper the games down a bit, but probably you might have to ramp training up to make training look like a game. Yeah. So if they can uh, control or show some kind of positive behavior during training when it's a 4v2 rondo or competition's important and can you make 20 passes or it's 2v2s and um, it's the first of 10 goals and you know losers putting away equipment and all that kind of competition that we want to see in training, if that mm. if kids can deal with that, then games should be easier. 
Yeah, the coach behavior point's a great one. I think this is modeling, isn't it? A lot of a lot of the content that Reed Maltby has shared with us through his articles and again through a masterclass, which will be published shortly, um, is around modeling and, and how important it is for coaches to walk the walk in terms of their behavior and be consistent. Um, look, I know you've done the Advanced Youth Award um, in the last couple of years. Is, is there anything, you know, I know that that is a course that is renowned for tackling the sort of social psychological side of the game. Is there anything you walked away with there that would be worth sharing with coaches? Yeah, I think there's a there's some stuff around kind of um, coach interventions and coaching behaviour. So that they, they talked about positive, frequent, consistent, repetitive, and unconditional. Mm. Um, so if somebody is, if somebody has some challenging behaviour, are, are you consistent with your message? Like at our club, we do this, but are you still unconditional with your support? So it's it's challenging the behaviour rather than the individual. So if Dave does something that I don't like, then I could say to Dave, at our club, we do this, but I'm going to still play you. I'm still going to talk to you and I'm still going to coach you and I'm still going to explain to you what's right and wrong. And it's probably being that kind of uh, positive influence in the life, but also frequent and consistent. So it's the same message over and over and over. Um, and, and that kind of ties into the idea of social construction, which is maybe where I started um, to explain that you know, in our environment or our club, we, we do these things and it's, that's the hard boundary. So if somebody used a swear word at a referee, we would say that is completely unacceptable and I'm going to explain to you why. And there might be some uh, something at the other end of the spectrum that is our perfect behaviour. So our perfect behaviour is we go and thank the referee for doing a good job. Now, can you expect 12 year olds to do that all the time? Probably not. And then, and then can you find a moment where somebody does it and highlight that kind of positive behaviour? So the kind of the, the the core blocks of social construction are kind of ex uh, celebrate the exceptional, praise the good, notice the the normal, respond to inappropriate, sanction the unacceptable. Yeah. So it's where where does that behaviour sit on that on that spectrum? Can you can you celebrate it and say it's brilliant? Um, can you notice that? Yeah, that's the, that's what we do. Well done. And if it's completely unacceptable, it's okay as as the coach to go and kind of tackle that. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Maybe game day might not be the moment if, if somebody's in one of those red heads. Yeah, absolutely. When you were talking about taking a substitute off, sometimes I would take a substitute off and not talk to them. Just give them two minutes and yeah. go, you got it? Yeah, cool. Go back. Like, um, not not everybody needs constant conversations and constant questions. It's about, about knowing your individuals as well, isn't it? Going back yeah. to um, kind of off the pitch stuff. Do you know how that kid is and, and how quickly they boil and when they boil, do they need to sit the rest of the game? Do they need to sit two minutes or do they need the, you've used the, the strategy that um, Fulham used of what is next? Yeah. So how yeah. Can I win? What is next? So you've been fouled and the referee didn't give it. Are you going to sit on the floor? Are you going to throw your arms up like Ronaldo or what is next? So you're going to recover and win the ball back. Yeah. Um, easy, easier said than done, but that's a really nice kind of strategy. So, so all of this stuff is, understanding what it looks like at 10, 11, 12, 13, it's not going to look like first team players yeah. and first team players still get this wrong. Like yeah, absolutely they big, do. Big high profile players that get this wrong, but also being comfortable, I suppose, to say, no, that behavior isn't acceptable and, and I'm going to explain to you why. But that doesn't mean that you hate the player. That means that I just not, I'm not happy with that behavior. And can you, can we try and work on it together? That unconditional bit, can we try and uh, improve that, 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 um, that behaviour ongoing. So at 16, does it look slightly better than 12? And yeah. then hopefully it does and you've done your job. And it's certainly going to be a roller coaster through the age groups, isn't it? You know, there's, I don't think there's any point in time where uh, 
any of us sort of master emotional control on a sports field uh, at any point as a player or a coach. It's a very difficult thing to, to take the emotion out of it. So I think, first of all, you shouldn't try to take the emotion out of it. But I think finally for Elliot is just moderate those expectations. And hopefully there are some strategies we've suggested there. A huge thank you to Lara Mossman. Um, a, a wonderful, wonderful little clip there and some great advice. Also some content to cite. Um, Lara's got an article called Creating Positive Sports Environments, but if you head to playdevelopmentproject.com, you can search her name and all of her articles will come up uh, across the site. There's some great work there around that and highly recommend her work. Reed Maltby on Coach Communication has got an article called 140 Character Coaching, which is an archive one. It's a great read on just being short and effective with your coaching. And uh, Professor Stephen Rolnick, um, who's got a couple of great masterclasses with us, wrote an article called Praise Versus Affirmation, which really goes back to that deliberate communication, which you touched on earlier. So some content there uh, for Elliot to check out and anyone else who's listening in um, to have a look at. And, and hopefully that, that sort of does help with what is a very, very challenging topic. Dan, any final thoughts from you on this one before we wrap it up? I think um, we've talked about this before about what is coaching and, and you use the line that coaching is a human activity mm. and so it's, it's probably uh, as much as we're asking the kids to, to think about their behavior it's also we could think about our interventions mm. and so I would like to think over the 15 years I've been coaching I'm more skilled at, at picking the right intervention at the right time but do you reflect sometimes and think do you know what I didn't say the right thing then or you know that was too hard or it was too soft or I was hyping the boys up and they didn't need to be hyped up. I think if you put that much kind of self-reflection around that, that aspect of the game rather than just the, the shape or the scoreline or, you know, did we get the inverted wingers at the right to half spaces? I think the human stuff is probably more important and, and, and uh, the idea of kind of knowing your players and, and recognising what they need at the right time. And you, and you as an adult will get that wrong. And, and can you reflect and say... If I had my time again, I, I would have been slightly harder or I'd have been softer. Or I would have said, come here a second, let's have a chat. Mm. And if you reflect on all that stuff, similar to what we're asking the players to do, you will get better at it. And like I said, week to week, year to year, you'll be a better coach. Yeah, 100%. Great advice and a great note to finish. Once again, Dan, thank you for your time. It's been good. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. And finally, uh, a final thank you for Lara Mossman. Really good thoughts and uh, appreciate her time as well. We will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.